Trinity Church, it is great to see you today on this Father's Day weekend. Absolutely love the video that you just got to see, not only honoring our earthly dads, but also continuing to point our focus up towards our Heavenly Father. And so we're really glad that you are enjoying this weekend and in making this service a part of your weekend plans. So thanks for joining us and thank you for the opportunity for us to join you in your home today. We just hope you have a great day uh, with be on, you're watching Saturday or Sunday. We're glad you're here with us. My name is Todd Arnett. I'm the lead pastor here at Trinity Church. And I just want to start today with a couple yay gods. Look at this. So we have had a blood drive that we did earlier in uh, the month of June on the 3rd. And what was so great about that, we actually exceeded what the Red Cross expected for that day. So thank you for all of those who donated blood on June the 3rd. June the 24th is the second of these blood drives. And what we should have over this whole graphic is sold out. I mean, obviously nothing's being sold, but every appointment is filled and we're so excited about the way that you are stepping up. It's mostly predominantly Trinity Church people. There are also po folks from the Redlands community that are joining us, but we love getting to partner with the Red Cross. So again, thanks to you for being willing to do that. Another thing we just want to give you some heads up about and some info, um, this uh, next weekend, uh, we're going to be doing our annual congregational meeting. It's on Sunday, June the 28th. We usually do that meeting live here in the worship center, but because of things that we're still dealing with with the quarantine, we are going to be doing that via a Zoom webinar. Now, a few of you were on with us this last week on the 14th when we did the uh, informational meeting that precedes our annual congregational meeting. We use that on Zoom, it went really well, so I appreciate your involvement. We're gonna use Zoom webinar, and here's the important thing. If you are a member of Trinity Church, this next week, the 22nd through the 27th, you should receive an email from us. That email will have a link to be able to enter into this meeting on June the 28th at four o'clock. So we'd love for you to join us. We are voting on some things as far as our new fiscal budget, a couple of um, uh, constitutional revisions, as well as we're uh, wanting to elect two new elders that the elder board has recommended, Doug Dupree and Eldon Rinders. And so it's gonna be a great time. I'd love for you to show up and be a part of that with us. All right, well, here we go. We have been in this series that has been all about um, a people prepared. We have been walking through the book of 1 Peter. You join us today in the very last teaching segment of the book. We'll be looking, if you have a Bible today, by the way, I haven't told you about that. Get your Bible open to 1 Peter chapter five. You'll note down in the corner here, there's a QR code, and that will allow you to have notes available to you during our time together, help you track with us a little bit better during the service or during the message. So 1 Peter chapter five is where we're gonna be. What we're gonna do, we're gonna finish up the book through the teaching lens today, but next Sunday, or next weekend, June 27th, 28th, we are gonna be online one more time, and we are going to have this great um, interactive series response service. We've done that for a couple other teaching series in the last year, and we're excited to do it again, a great interactive time with your family at home, and so we're excited to be able to present that and prepare that for you for next weekend. So join us for that, and it'll be this great opportunity to respond to what we'll even see today, these four big themes that have been really uh, replete all throughout the book of First Peter. 
Well, what we have by way of review, this book is written by one of Jesus' 12 disciples, one of the apostles sent by him to go and bring this great news of the gospel to the world, Peter. And Peter writes to a group that he's called a group of scattered exiles who live in what is today modern-day Turkey. These are new Christians, and they're facing all kinds of challenges, primarily that of suffering under the persecution of neighboring governments or even their neighbors uh, due to their walk with Jesus. What we've seen are four big themes. The book began with a call to hope. And and how powerful, we're going to see hope bookends chapter uh, 1 and chapter 5 in 1 Peter. And we're going to see that theme today. But the idea is that their hope is anchored into the person of Christ who is outside of their circumstances and who reigns supreme. And he is, and he is their living hope. Uh, then we see the shift to that of holiness. And Peter says, be holy as God is holy. There is that unique requirement, that expectation for the people of God to have the character of their God. And we saw that theme at the, in the middle of chapter one. Then at the end of chapter one, chapter two, there becomes a focus on that idea of, hum- of uh, harmony. And the harmony idea was that as the people of God, would they work together? Would they have not only this right vertical relationship with God, but a right horizontal relationship with one another and live in a kind of harmony that really should be true of the family of God that is probably unique to any other social uh, structure or class anywhere on the planet, this is what Jesus's church should be and how we should treat one another. And then finally, at the end of chapter two, it moved to this big idea of that of humility. And we've seen humility really run through the book. We'll pick up that theme again today. And initially, it was a humility towards the governing authorities, even the workplace authorities, even in marriage that God has designed and ordained. Today, as we finish up this book, we're actually going to see all four themes from this book of 1 Peter are present in 1 Peter chapter 5. It'll be a great way of kind of tying it all together, giving new applications to these ideas for a group of new young followers of Jesus who are facing persecution for their faith. Here's our now what idea today. Take a look at this. Whoops. I think I went too too far. Here's our now what idea. Humility, harmony, and holiness are your calling now as you await the day when your hope will be realized. All four of those H words, humility, harmony, holiness, are, are what we are called to as we continue to look forward to and anticipate the hope that Jesus has given us. Here's number one in your notes today. Calling and submission evidence humility towards each other in Jesus' church. Calling and submission evidence humility towards each other in Jesus' church. Let me show you what I mean. We're in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1. Would you do this? This is one of our last times doing this together. Read these words aloud with me. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. 
all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward each other, toward one another, because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. So let me uh, look at this. What, how Peter begins this final chapter, obviously he was writing a continuous letter. We've broken it up into chapters. But this final thought that he's going to give begins with addressing the leaders of these churches in modern day Turkey, leaders that are known by the word elders. Uh, now, this term isn't a new term, and we would see people groups all over the planet who have always had elders who have given leadership to them organizationally as a people. As this fledgling, and I love this phrase, the organized organism of the church, the ecclesia, the called out ones, as, or the gathering, as this group of people were beginning to uh, form, it was obvious that they needed leadership. It was obvious that they needed uh, a leadership structure and a model that would not only be um, consistent and available in the first century, but in the 21st century as well. And this is the model that was demonstrated then and demonstrated in all over the word of God to us today, that of a plurality of elders. Look at this passage from Acts uh, chapter 14. It says, Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church. This would be on this missionary journey and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. So we see that was the model in the book of Acts that as people were coming to know Christ in certain locales, in certain cities and towns, there was always a, a leadership team that was developed and that was never one elder, it was elders, plural, and they were those who were going to give leadership once people like Paul and Barnabas had left. The Greek word for elder is presbyteros, and it means a mature man having seasoned judgment and experience. A mature man having seasoned judgment and experience. The New Testament, this is an interesting thing to note, specifies elders as men meaning the feminine singular presbytera, it never occurs in the Bible. So there are a few basic expectations of an elder. It is someone who is a man, who is mature, who has discernment, and who has life experience. A mature man who has discernment and life experience. Now, 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 actually give a much fuller picture of the specific requirements. There's a lot of overlap between those two accounts of really the qualifications of those who would feel called to serve. Things that would include godly character, things that would include leadership qualities, and interestingly enough, that needed to first be demonstrated in their home before they could ever lead the people of God. And also a good reputation among others, uh, among those who are not even yet in the family of God with those in the community. These would all be things that would be expected. Now here at Trinity Church, our pastors are what we would call by and large elder qualified. But at Trinity, in our, the way that we are governed in our leadership structure, we actually have six men who are called this title of elder. They include Bill Clayton, Dan Flaming, James George, Thad Riley, Doug Richards, and myself. 
So that group of six are Trinity Church's elders. And this board of six specifically has been through a lot. I can testify in the last nine months, especially. But within that, I just want to commend them for their dedication and their service to you, the people of Trinity Church. I also want to especially commend Bill Clayton, who has actually been serving as our chairman of our elder board in this last season. And he is rotating off the elder board this month. Um, as he's been serving uh, his, his times, um, his, let me think of the right word, he's been serving his rotations as an elder at Trinity. I'd love for you to thank him personally the next time you see him, even if that's not until September, knowing how our quarantine is going, I'd love for you just to thank him for the way that he serves so well, his term, that's the word I was looking for. In our uh, annual congregational meeting that we'll be holding next week, there are those two elders I mentioned earlier that the elders have uh, brought to you, proposed, that would join our elder board. That would be Eldon Reinders and Doug Dupree. So we're excited to have them be a part of that group as well. Now, Peter addresses elders as a co-elder. So he's saying, I'm not just saying this to you. I'm saying this of myself. These things are important. And I want to encourage you as one elder to another to be about these things. Interestingly enough, what does he direct these fellow elders to do? To shepherd God's flock to shepherd God's people well. A couple things here, interestingly enough, he had heard those words directly from Jesus in the time when he was actually being reinstated. We remember that Peter denied he even knew Jesus when push came to shove at the most critical moment. But when Jesus, after he's risen from the dead, sitting on a beach, John chapter 21, reinstates Peter, and what does he say? Feed and care for my sheep. So these are words that Peter had heard from Jesus directly. And the shepherd sheep illustration is all over scripture. It goes back even further, but one notable place in the Old Testament is the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, written by the shepherd boy himself, ultimately King David. We also see in the prophets, God calling out the leaders of Israel for not shepherding his people well. And then in the Gospels itself, Jesus saying this powerful phrase, I am the good shepherd. So these are all different, and we can mention many more, but these are, this theme of sheep and shepherd is all over scripture. And the illustration is always consistent. We, the people of God, are sheep. That's what's always true. We are always identified as the sheep. Sheep are animals who need a ton of care, a ton of guidance, a ton of protection and a ton of direction and correction. This is really true. Care, guidance, um, protection, and correcting. The, they're very needy animals and the illustration fits. We recognize that's true of us. But I also want you to see a significant detail that's in this passage. Listen to what Peter said. Be shepherds of God's flock. Peter didn't say be shepherds of your flocks because you, the people of Trinity, do not belong to the elders of Trinity Church. You belong to God. We have been called to be under shepherds. That's why often in times of prayer with our pastoral staff or with the elders, I will often pray, God, help us lead your church, lead your people, because we recognize Jesus, the Trinity Church is Jesus's church, not ours, and not any one person, not any leadership team. It belongs to him. So if we've been 
been commissioned as under shepherds under what this passage called the chief shepherd, we need to lead well and we need to lead this flock well. The big ideas that come out of Peter's words to these fellow elders are that of a willingness and a purity of their desire to serve, not lording, but loving and serving the flock. Because they answer to the chief shepherd and not the sheep, I want you to catch that. Under shepherds, elders answer to the chief shepherd, not to the sheep. It's him who's gonna be the rewarder of them when he returns, and he's gonna be the one who settles accounts. Now, I want you to watch this. This is a lot of words at the beginning of 1 Peter 5, two elders, but in the same breath, he conversely writes to those in the church who are under their care. He writes specifically to those, the word we read were younger. That could mean in relation, elder usually means someone who is older, definitely life experience, definitely mature. Younger could mean not only in age, but in terms of maturity, physical or spiritual maturity as well. So um, he directs this group of people to have the same command he's given to them numerous times throughout this letter. Submit. Submit to those that God has placed over you. Now, like we said earlier, we've seen that theme in relation to those who are governing authorities. We've seen a a call to submission to those who are leaders in the workplace. And we've even seen to wives a call to submit to the leadership of their husbands. So here's the reality. Just like any time that we might be living in, submission towards those in leadership is never easy. So I wanna say that from the beginning today, I know that has been a huge theme and we've kind of used that H word, humility, requires that sense of putting myself under the leadership and care of someone else. And here, yet we see this again. When we were going through a lot of this strife here locally related to COVID and the quarantine and just what we were sensing was a lot of angst in our country and here locally in our communities, uh, it was just fascinating how the, the, the book of First Peter was tracking almost in time, week over week, these same types of themes that were going on in our culture. And I would tell you, uh, we put this series together back in March. We had no idea how things would lay out. It's exactly just all we did was just keep teaching through the book of First Peter. Now, when we were doing that, I remember telling our pastoral staff, telling our elders, I said, you know, it's fascinating how this is just timing itself and lining up so quickly. But I said, one thing I know is coming in the book of 1 Peter is not only a call to our people to submit to things like local governing authorities, but to submit to local church authorities. And the bottom line is that can be challenging. Challenging for a host of reasons. One includes everybody has an opinion. Uh, But at the end of the day, there is this biblical call to set aside my opinion to not only the word of God, but the leaders that God has appointed over a local body. It's a challenging situation. And the reality is, is that I know there's a lot of painful submission that is going on in this book of 1 Peter, but also I want you to be clear, I want to be clear with you today, it doesn't make it any less true. Now, how are we going to get through all this? How are we going to be able to both lead 
in a good way and also how are we gonna follow well in this relationship of elders and the flock. It's when we all clothe ourselves with humility. This word clothe yourself in the Greek is a very unique, special word. It's not one that's usually found in the New Testament. It's a rare word that refers to a slave putting on an apron before serving. The minute that I say that definition, your mind is going to John chapter 13. When Jesus in the upper room on the night he was going to be betrayed, he took off his outer robe and put on the clothing of a servant, put on the apron of a servant, and he washed his disciples' feet. So look in your notes with me today. If Jesus, the God-man, can take on this posture of a servant towards his brothers, we can have this same attitude as well. If Jesus, the God-man, can take on the posture, the humbleness of a servant, then so we can as well. So a big thought at the beginning of this time uh, in this first point today, humility towards one another in the church will lead to harmony in our body. Humility to each other in the church will lead to harmony in our body. Number two in your notes today, you can stand firmly in your faith when it's rooted in a God who cares for you. You can stand firmly in your faith when that faith is rooted in a God who cares for you. Look at the next section of First Peter chapter five. Chapter five, verse six, humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. So we see in this next passage, <clears throat> um, Peter's going to shift the focus away from a horizontal humility that they're called to show towards one another to now a vertical humility under the mighty hand of God. And he directs them to be made low so that God can lift them up. There's a play of words. Be made low so that God can lift you up in due time. The wording here is important, by the way. It's a passive imperative verb. So here, here the way we would say that in English, it means, let, it means let this happen to you. Let God humble you. Be in a situation where you are submissive to God and allowing him to bring you low. Look in your notes. When you let God bring you low, don't resist his efforts to help you see yourself in light of who he is. And when that happens, it won't be so much that you think so lowly of yourself, but you'll see yourself more accurately. You'll see yourself more accurately. Uh, a pastor friend of mine, I remember him saying years ago that humility is not thinking lowly of yourself, it's just thinking accurately of yourself. And here's what I mean. When we know who we are in relationship to what we see in scripture as the holiness of God, when we come before a holy God, we realize we have a clear picture of reality. He is other, I am not. He is altogether pure, altogether sinless. I am not. When we look upon God's holiness, it causes us to see the cobwebs that you didn't realize were there. It just gives a brighter, clearer picture of reality. I've tried cleaning my car sometimes while wearing sunglasses, the inside of my car. So I have sunglasses on, I'm working outside, I'm washing the car. And then when I go to maybe vacuum inside, I'll keep my sunglasses on. And I'm here to tell you today that's a bad idea. 
It's a bad idea because when I'm wearing sunglasses working inside the car, I can see some general debris that I need to vacuum up. But it's amazing when I take those shades off, I'm able to see so much more. My eyes were being dimmed to what was really there. And here's the point. It doesn't, the minute I take my sunglasses off, it doesn't mean that there's more there than was there a minute ago. It just means I can see it clearly. I can just have a better perception of reality and see it more accurately what was there all along. So within this idea that as we would allow God to bring us low, to humble us, he will raise us up. And here's that key phrase, in due time, in his timing. And then look at these powerful words that we just don't remind ourselves of often enough. Cast all of your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Because he cares for you. Now, the word means exactly what it says, to cast upon another, to put upon someone else. And it's an, what's notable, though, is the tense of the verb. It should be read, having cast your cares upon him. Having, as though it's a completed action, having cast, or ongoing action even, having cast your cares upon him. Why? Well, of course, because he cares for you. It's the appropriate response when you understand the God who is the one that you can cast your cares upon. You see, this verb is not an imperative verb calling you to throw your anxieties upon God. It's just a statement that you rightly should do so when you recognize the great love and compassion and concern that God has for you, that he cares for you. Interestingly enough, that word anxiety in the original language means to be drawn in different directions, to be distracted. Anxiety, to be drawn in different directions, to be distracted. I want you to hear these words today in light of the circumstances that you're in, when, when the weight of so many different important things begins to rise, it's really hard to know how to prioritize. Listen to this word, Todd's paraphrase having cast all of the things that cause you to be drawn or pulled in different directions, having cast all of the things that cause you to be distracted from what matters most, do so because with him is a care and concern that he has for you. What a great promise, what a great truth to just sit in just for a moment today. Having cast all your cares on him, because he cares for you. And I want you to see today the third time in this letter that Peter directs his readers to be alert and sober-minded. He never just says that. It's not just to do that to do that. Be alert, be sober-minded because there's purpose every single time. Back in chapter one, it was so that they can set their hope on the grace that is to be revealed when Jesus returns for us. So meaning it's intentionally be alert and sober-minded so you can intentionally raise your gaze. Be thoughtful of what God has promised you. Then in chapter four, be alert and sober-minded so you can pray so you can give yourself to focus on prayer. And then here in this final chapter, chapter five, be alert and sober-minded so that you would be aware that there's an enemy on the hunt looking to attack. Now, what, what an important concept. Be aware that you're being hunted. That's huge. The devil is likened to a lion who's on the prowl. And watch this. What did it say earlier in chapter one? He's not just on the prowl in general. He's on the prowl for sheep. Remember, that's what the elders are called to do is to lovingly lead and care for the flock. So imagine 
a hungry, nimble lion who happens upon a flock of sheep, sheep who are clumsy, sheep who are clumpy, sheep who are just slow. Man, that's a slaughter that is just going to go on for days because that lion's going to have his way. So that's a powerful image now when you stop and think of not just a hungry lion, but a lion who's on the prowl for a flock of sheep. Peter notes that Satan has always been their true enemy all along. He's literally, in the words that are used, the accusing attorney. That's your adversary in the courtroom. It's the devil who is out for far more than a conviction. He's out to destroy you, to hunt you down. Peter does a great job to remind these persecuted followers of Jesus that their one genuine enemy all along, even though they're facing persecution at the hands of people, their one genuine enemy all along has been his enemy, Satan himself. No human authorities and even no oppositional people in their worlds are actually the true enemy because every single one of those are people that are made in the image of God, who are deeply loved by God, who can be redeemed by God. But their enemy is who this passage identifies clearly. It's their adversary. It's the accuser. It's Satan himself. So besides the care and protection of the good shepherd, the chief shepherd, and even that of his under shepherds, those elders mentioned earlier in the chapter, the sheep themselves are given an interesting directive. They actually are called to do something. Resist him. Resist him. Resist him is the ongoing directive all over the New Testament of how Jesus' followers should respond to Satan. Look at this from Ephesians 6.13. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. That's the same Greek word. You may be able to resist him. And after you have done everything, to stand. Look at this from James chapter 4. It's like a parallel verse to what we're looking at. Submit yourselves then to God. We saw that earlier. Submit yourselves under God's mighty hand. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. So I want you to see that your calling as a sheep, as part of God's flock, it isn't to bind or to command or to threaten Satan, but to resist him. To resist him and note Peter's rationale, you are able to resist the devil as you stand firm in your faith in the one who cares for you. And and what is actually an interesting piece of, of just kind of encouragement is that they should take comfort in the fact that they're not alone. That members of the family of God all over the world are suffering in a like way and they're facing all kinds of suffering of all kinds of kinds just like they are. There's an encouragement to know they're not alone. Finally today, number three in your notes, suffering may be your present state, but God's strengthening is in your future. Suffering may be what you're going through today, but God's strengthening is in your tomorrow, in your future. I just changed the whole point. I had better idea than when I wrote it originally. There you go. Um, look at the passage. So 1 Peter 5, look at verse 10. And the God of all grace, who called you into his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. And listen to these final end notes. With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I've written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. I love this phrase, stand fast in it. 
She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings, and so does my son Mark. This is a great verse. Every uh, high school student who's dating right now loves this more than anything else in the Bible. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Amen. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. So this is how Peter signs off on this book. And what is powerful, I was so excited to get to finish not only this message today, but this series with this point of this final encouragement that Peter says, I know you're suffering today, but God's strength is coming tomorrow. Let me show you what he says. As Peter one time finally reminds his readers in closing about this absolute confidence that they have in the God who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, he restates this theme of hope one more time. Like we said, it's bookends. It begins right out of the, the gate in chapter one, and here it is to close in chapter five. He reminds them that in their suffering, when it's over, it says for a time, for a little time, there are four things that God will do in the future for them. Four future indicative verbs that emphatically promise divine aid. I want you to hear these today. I want these to be an encouragement to you in the midst of whatever you're going through. It started with, he will himself restore you. He will himself restore you. It means to be properly adjusted. Something's out of whack. To be properly or exactly fit to be in good working order. So something's out of alignment. The first thing that God's going to do in this way of a promise is that he's going to bring you into alignment. He's going to adjust you so that you work well. And the next, he will make you strong. He will give you support to secure to be firmly established. So it's the sense of kind of tying down the ropes, holding fast. That's what God's gonna do for you. Thirdly, he's gonna make you firm. It's gonna make you firm. That word means to make strong so as to be mobile. Isn't that interesting? To make strong so as not to be necessarily anchored, but to be mobile and to be effective. And then finally, and steadfast, it means to make stable by laying a strong foundation to make stable by being, laying a strong foundation. Four images, four pictures that all describe what God is going to do after a time of suffering. He's going to come and refresh and strengthen you moving forward. I'm thinking of all these four things that Peter promises on behalf of the God who cares for you, right? We've seen that powerfully today. He cares for you in the midst of your suffering. These are the best four things you've heard me say in a long time. Great promises from this book of 1 Peter. I want to say our times that we have been going through, we started this series in mid-March, and here we are now at the end, almost the end of June. So nearly three and a half months, these things that we have been going through together as the, the family of God, that, that's this local expression of Jesus' people called Trinity Church, the things we've been going through together and even in our culture and our community, they have been eerily similar to what the people who were receiving this letter in the first century were going through as well. These are some of the things we have in common that they might have been feeling then too. The fact that you're lamenting things that are not like they were before. There is so much in your world that doesn't look like it did three and a half months ago. You're unsure of what is next because this season has been so tumultuous. There's brought so much change and there's a sense of there's probably still more to come. 
before some sort of peace or some sort of calm comes back to my life. It's hard when you've been through so much to anticipate there's still more to come. And finally, you feel so distant from so many people that previously you were so connected to. You could see so often, interact with so easily, and that's become very hard. This seems like a season of simply trying to survive. It seems audacious as a goal to even consider what it would look like to thrive right now. But I want to remind you of something. There is so much in this letter that's being said about how to continue to be encouraged, about how to continue to raise our gaze, set our hope on the fact that indeed Jesus is going to return, that indeed our inheritance with him is sound and we can count on it. And so there is this future looking, leaning uh, posture that's really all throughout that theme of hope that goes all throughout the book of 1 Peter. But I wanna also remind you that in the midst of the suffering and in the midst of the long range hope, there is an immediate call throughout this book that we've looked at to continue to live out the commission that Jesus left his church. The fact that we are God's plan A for the redemption of the world and he has no plan B. Let me remind you of some of the passages that we've seen in the, our time together in the book of First Peter. But you are a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, four qualifying phrases that are so profound, but watch this, that you may declare. All those things are true, so that you would declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. We're to be a people of proclamation. First Peter 2, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, watch, they may see your good deeds. And what was that gonna translate into? They would glorify God on the day he visits us. We saw that passage is all about, they would see the things that people are doing even in the midst of suffering and be drawn to want to know that God. Again, in 1 Peter chapter 3, a verse you know well, always be prepared to give an answer for everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. The hope that you have is future and, and long-term, but to give the reason for that is immediate and it's now. And I just want to remind you today as you listen to those verses again, that's probably the single greatest thing I've been lamenting this last week. And I want you to know that's saying a lot. There is a lot of things to lament in our world right now, in our culture, in our community, in our country. But it's simply this for me. Have we moved into a mode that is mostly concerned about simply surviving this challenging season? or because of the confidence that we have in the God who has called you into his eternal glory in Christ, we can continue to live lives that are not only rooted in Jesus, strengthened by him, but that we would also continue to be about reaching our worlds, this dynamic of our dual part of our mission, because that's what he commissioned us to be until he returns. Even in the midst of persecution, these passages we just read were a people who were being persecuted in the first century. Even in the midst of a pandemic and a quarantine like we're experiencing in the 21st century. Even in the midst of a national crisis regarding how we value and have equality for all people. Even in the midst of all these things, God wants to use you to be a person of influence in your relational world because they need him so much. 
And maybe they're realizing the people you do life with, they need him now more than ever. Finally, in your notes today, don't strive to simply survive these times. Ask Jesus to help you thrive in them for his glory and his kingdom cause. Don't merely strive to survive, but instead ask Jesus to help you thrive in these times for his glory and his kingdom cause. Here's our now what statement for this week. Humility, harmony, and holiness are your calling now as you await the day when your hope will be realized. Let me pray for us. Father God, we come before you today as a people who have been through a lot. And like we've just said, we anticipate there's probably still more to come. We're not there yet. But I thank you as we read this passage today of all that we read, probably what is rising off the page to me most are those four things at the very end of 1 Peter 5 that you promise that after we've suffered for a little while, you will come and you will strengthen, fortify our lives in these ways. God, help us hold out for that. And not only for that, but the big picture promise, our hope that we have in being with you forever when you return. So Father, encourage our hearts in the midst of challenging days. I wanna say to you today, if you're here, If you're watching this message today and you would have to, we said earlier today, in in light of the holiness of God, we realize better who we are. Then you would say today, I'm desperately in need of a savior. I might've thought that, known that before, but I'm ready to do something about it today. I'm ready to A, admit that I'm a sinner who needs a savior. I'm ready to believe Believe that Jesus is the only savior available and I'm ready see to choose. To choose to put my hope and my confidence and my trust, not in religion, not in trying to be good or kind, but in Jesus alone and what he's accomplished for me. And as a result of what he's accomplished, that I would be empowered by his indwelling spirit to live a life that looks like him. If you're ready to make that decision today, admit, believe, choose, I would encourage you, don't even get up from your chair before you cry out to God with those three words and begin a new relationship with him rightly today. Father, we thank you for this week. We thank you for the end as we're growing close to the end of June. We thank you for this Father's Day weekend. Would we reflect on the greatness of our Father, of who you are, and be so grateful that you have been so good to us. We love you and we pray in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.